If you don't have a bulletin, just raise your hand real quick because you'll need the outline that's in the bulletin. Does anyone not get a bulletin uh, this morning? Great. That's, uh, that's wonderful. This morning we're going to continue this series that we've been covering in the equipping hour on how to resolve everyday conflict. And nothing like a snow day uh, and uh, health issues to up the potential for conflict. Uh, and as uh, uh, Daryl was just praying, Lord, uh, as he was saying, you know, Lord, show us those areas in our life where there may be conflict, uh, struggle, difficulty. And what we've been learning about conflict is we first started with what causes it. We saw that it's three parts. Uh, it starts with a spark. Uh, and then it's the response, the gasoline. And usually it's an ungodly response. So instead of putting water on it, we just throw gas on it. And then it turns into a fire. And we know what happens with fires. They're out of control. Uh, things get hurt when the fire starts. Uh, we can't control it at that point. And there's a lot of ramifications. The key is to start at the spark, start at the, stop the issue uh, where the gasoline usually comes in. And the key is, is how do we stop the habits that we have of pouring gasoline on the provocations that occur in our life? The first thing that we looked at is we need to change our whole mindset and our perspective on conflict. And there's four G's. Uh, the first one is, is we need to uh, glorify God. That's the first one. It's uh, unfortunately not on your, your outline there. Where, uh, I went to print out the other uh, material and it uh, didn't work this morning. I apologize for that. Uh, but you just want to mark there is the first thing we need to do is bring God into our conflicts. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was it that they did? They hid. They didn't want God involved in their conflict. When we sin, we tend to want to hide. Uh, and so, and when we know we're going to sin, we don't want to invite Jesus there. Uh, we we want to go away from Him. So as we talked about in our previous sessions, instead of leaving Jesus at the church building, when we drive off the parking lot, we invite Him into the car, and we invite Him into our house, and we invite Him around the dinner table, and we invite Him in all of our conversations, especially the difficult ones. So the first thing is, is we have to change our perspective. It's not about winning. It's not about getting what we want. It's about glorifying God. The second thing is, is once we do begin to change our whole purpose for our interactions where there's potential conflict, and it's about well, what's we start asking different questions. What's what's going to glorify God? What, what does he want in this situation? What is it that he desires rather than I'm going to get what I'm going to get? And what's my new strategy to get it? And in fact, I'm going to use shame this time. You know, I used guilt last week. It wasn't effective, so I'm going for shame. Uh, that doesn't work. Then I attack his, uh, if it's female, I'll, I'll attack his masculinity. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going for the jugular. All of that goes away. Now it's, no, the only thing that matters is, is what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it going to glorify God? I completely change the questions that I ask. Secondly, uh, once we engage in the conflict, the tendency is, is we go with the pronoun you. You 
this, you that. Why did you? Uh, and we're on the offensive. So the second thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, as he was chastising the Pharisees, is he said, uh, first of all, stop making judgments, uh, absolute judgments, which is only God's place to do. Uh, and then he mentions in the standard in which you measure, it will be measured to you. And the tendency in all conflicts is, is uh, we're amazingly harsh when we're looking at what others do and when they fall short. Uh, we have amazing photographic memory when others uh, fail us. But we have amnesia when it comes to our failures and where we fall, fell short. We talked about that. I don't remember that. When was that? Uh, we, we just instant amnesiacs. Uh, and then he says, please, don't be hypocrites. How do you address things? First, start with the log that's in your own eye. So number two is get the log out of your own eye. So instead of going on the offensive and the attack, first, when you invite God into your conversations, your goal and intent is to glorify him. Number two is get the log out of your own eye. How have you contributed to this conflict? Start there. And then the second part that we had on that was how to make a proper uh, apology or confession for repentance. Uh, and I've learned in my years of doing conflict resolution, uh, it, it just falls apart right there many times. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that you were offended by how I expressed my anger. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're just, we're great at doing everything that we can in our communication about our sin to project the blame to someone else other than ourselves. We excuse, we justify, we love the word if, but, and maybe when we're in the middle of an apology. So what we saw last week is the seven A's of how to confess. Um, by the way, uh, the workbook that you can uh, pick up uh, if you'd like me to order. Uh, I've got two extras. I can pick up more of those. And they're all online, uh, the lessons that we've done, as well as the password to give you access to those in the previous sessions. Uh, and so the key is, if I invite God and my desire in future conflicts is to bring glory to God rather than to get what I want... I humble myself and I'm willing to ask the question of how did I contribute to this conflict first? And when I realize there is something that I've contributed, I'm going to own it first. There's just a principle, uh, and it's there in Matthew 7. It's interesting. It's in the context of Matthew 7. What, what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees is stop being judgmental and judging others uh, in the way that you've been judged. Uh, it's called the black rule. Or if you want to do like some people that I've worked with, they've just flat out told me honestly, they do to others before others do to them. I actually had one young lady that, that said her whole entire goal, because she'd been hurt so many times, her whole entire goal was to hurt the other person first. Now, we may not admit that that's our mantra, but we may function that way. The golden rule is I'm going to actually treat others the way I wish they would treat me, even if they don't.
even if they don't reciprocate, I'm going to treat them in the way uh, that I wish that they would treat me. That is in Matthew 7 as the antidote to what the Pharisees were doing. It's a complete different attitude, perspective change. So glorify God, get the log out of your eye, and when you realize there's something that you need to own, own it. Don't just confess, repent. As we talked about last week, Satan confesses every day. I am in rebellion against God. Does not deny it. But there is no repentance from Lucifer and Satan. So the key is not confession, it's repentance. And doing the deeds appropriate to repentance. And that's in the seven A's of confession. So today is... Once I've invited God, I've got a whole new perspective here. I've taken the log out of my own eye and I've initiated owning my own part. What do we do next? Today is uh, part three on the G's is gently going and reconciling. So I'm going to gently engage others or another way of saying is I'm going to gently restore. My objective is I've owned my part. Now I'm going to help the other person own their part. Taking the log out of my eye, I'm going to address the speck that's in theirs. How do we do that? And that's where I would like to have you look at the sheet that's in your hand. The verse that's here is a powerful verse. And uh, I'd like to just take a little more time in the book uh, that we're going through. It it takes a paragraph to go through this. But to me, this is just so profound that we need to we need to park here for a moment because the principles that are learned here uh, hopefully will impact our lives. Before we do, let me just pray. Precious Father, we we desire to be teachable today. Lord, we want to be humble And be willing to say, when we've fallen short, that we are willing to repent. We're willing to acknowledge how we've hurt others. We're willing to sacrifice and uh, make things right. We're even willing to go through the pain of restitution where necessary. Lord, we, we want to glorify you. And I pray that this morning uh, that there would be even just one person that needed to hear this, that it would be a source of encouragement to them and challenge. Lord, speak to us through your word for your glory. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Uh, Dr. Street, one of my mentors, uh, uh, he gave this uh, message answering the question on who is qualified uh, to counsel others. Uh, And we'll touch on that a little bit, but this passage is going to be answering the question here of who, what's the heart attitude that should be in a person before they go approach someone else? Uh, 
it's all answered here. Uh, but uh, that, that's going to be our focus uh, this morning is this passage is answering the question uh, about issues that are in the church, in the churches of Galatia, and Paul saying, who is it that's qualified to go and address those? Notice he says here that he's talking to brethren, so he's talking to all the members of the church there. He says, you who are spiritual. Now, this is Galatians chapter 6. What, what did he just talk about in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit. And he's talking about uh, how a Christian should live uh, through the power of the Spirit. So when he's using the term spiritual here, he's referring to those Christians who have the Spirit and they're bearing fruit. And we'll talk more in more detail about that. So when he says you who are spiritual, he's not trying to isolate a Green Beret group. He's actually just saying all of you who are saved and have the indwelling Spirit. You are qualified to go help a brother. So the question is, is how do you help a fellow believer without becoming a busybody? See, a lot of people will take that passage in Matthew 7 and say, uh, we shouldn't be judging. You know, it says we shouldn't judge. Uh, that, that, isn't that what he said? Uh, that's actually not what he was saying. He was saying that we shouldn't be judging as God judges. And then he goes on to qualify that we should, but we first need to take the log out of our own eyes so that we can effectively take the speck out of others. Uh, so the question is, uh, how do we go about doing that in a way that is honoring and helpful? And that's the purpose of today's lesson is when we get to that point where we're actually going gently to another person, how do we do it and what's our purpose and what's our attitude? Because that's everything. Can I just say it's everything you can say out of your mouth truth that actually is the issue and it's all correct. But if you deliver that with the wrong attitude and the wrong purpose, it will be a bomb and it will be a gasoline on the issue. So the execution here is just not correct information. There's a lot of things that are involved to make it effective. So what do you do when a friend is struggling with a sin? Do you ignore it? Or do you go in and make a false accusation? You just start pulling out the guns and letting her blaze. What are the parameters that control how we address the sin of others? Are there dangers I need to avoid when helping others so I don't fall into any sin myself? Uh, and as it goes on to explain here, the whole book of Galatians is Paul is addressing the false gospel that the Judaizers, uh, Jewish men who felt that uh, the gospel was not sufficient unless you were doing all of the Old Testament law and fulfilling it, circumcision, baptism, uh, the feasts, celebrations, you needed to keep the law plus the gospel. Uh, and so Paul, the whole purpose for the letter is to say, guys, that's not what the gospel is all about. It's Christ alone through faith alone for his glory alone. So the question is, is once a person becomes a Christian, how is it that they are to live? And Paul gives the solution in chapter five of Galatians. It's 
two-thirds of the way down on your front page there. And he has several points that are the key for how a person is to live. First of all, they're to live by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So he's, again, chastising the Judaizers, but faith working through love. So what he's challenging his audience to see is that ministry or serving others is a God-given privilege, which I do not deserve. This is very, very important when it comes to how you address a conflict is uh, there's a real tendency to feel superior. I'm the superior coming and addressing the inferior. That's the number one problem right there. Pride. Masked as ministry. And so uh, it's the whole purpose of being a Christian is not how many works can I do and how great am I doing? It's actually how can I serve in love through faith, meaning it wasn't I didn't earn it. My salvation, I didn't earn it. It was a gift. That's Paul's point. So I need to love God and others out of a heart of gratitude. Next point is need to love by serving. Galatians 5, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, this whole issue of... Uh, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Uh, Paul, again, is restating uh, in different ways what, what Jesus had said is love your neighbor in the way you would want to be loved. And so there's no place for self-righteousness. And that's why in Galatians 5.15, the top of the back page there, uh, Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So here's what happens when you're not spirit filled. The ultimate object, what occurs is, is people in the church devour one another, literally eat one another. You see the other person as something for you to conquer. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So then he goes on, how should we live? Point number three, we need to be led by the Spirit. Because a Spirit-led life is motivated by love for God and others, not ourselves. Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then we get to the passage that we're, was already referred to, the fruit of the Spirit. And what he did is he first mentioned all of the character qualities of the fruit of the flesh. That's a nasty list that he mentions there. And what it does is it devours people, hurts people, and causes division. And that's why he says, don't do that, but instead be filled, controlled by the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and Love is unpacked uh, in this way. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I love the uh, 
uh, amplification he gives there of how love is manifested in each of those fruit uh, there for you to see. So the key is, is as Paul is mentioning that you should live by the spirit and not by the flesh, that how you treat one another uh, should be different. He then gives an admonition there at the end in verse 26. He says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Now, this list is an amazing little list here. Become boastful. It's a fruit of self-righteousness when you are self-satisfied because you've done it. Look at me and what I've done. It just breeds not a dependence on God, but I'm self-sufficient. Look at me. I'm capable. And look how fruitful I am on my own. Now, the tendency is, is that kind of a boastful, selfish attitude then results in the next one, challenging one another. Love to confront and criticize others. Can I just put there in a parenthesis, you love to confront and challenge for the sake of confronting and challenging. It's just fun. And again, I can be the superior one, the more spiritual one, and I'm confronting the inferior one. And it makes me feel better about myself. And that's where the motivation is. Sometimes, even in the church, is uh, a ministry envy. Where you're doing something just because you want to be seen and recognized because you notice someone else is and they got kudos. And so, they got kudos doing that. I want to do that so I can get kudos. It's amazing, even in the church, among believers, we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And the ultimate fruit of it can be very damaging. But you don't notice it because it seems to be spiritual fruit or spiritual activity. And so that's why the issue I mentioned here is the attitude with which you do things is so crucial for success. So Paul then goes on to give the antidote for how you serve or counsel someone in the flesh. And he talks about how you do it in the spirit. And that's what he gives us in Galatians chapter six, verse one. So let me read it one more time and what the key points are and how they apply to us today. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So the key here is to restore those who are hurting with a proper attitude is how you practice loving others instead of selfishly pursuing the desires of your own flesh. And so then Paul lists out four specific things that are crucial on how you gently go to someone and confront. First point. What's the, uh, the cause for the reason that you're going to go provide counsel? Notice how Paul puts it here. He says, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, uh, literally could be the, the meaning of ensnared. They're trapped. 
Well, the key is, is you need to realize that when people are struggling with a particular sin, they, they need to be rescued. They, they need help. They don't need to be beaten while they're already there. They need to be delivered, redeemed. Number two, the person who is qualified to provide the counsel is someone who is spiritual. Just someone who is living by faith. Someone who is grateful. Uh, To me, that's the key. You know that the salvation you have, you didn't deserve. You never earned it and you never will. It's something that you were given as a gift and you're grateful. So you know that you were uh, rescued from your own sin and you didn't deserve that rescue. So the attitude when you look at someone else who's struggling with sin is completely different. I realize it's a brother of mine who needs to be rescued and I want to help them, not crush them. I want to help them, not crush them. So how do I do that? You restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And gentleness is just tenderness, kindness, lack of freedom from anger. No need to be harsh. Let me just say, as parents... This is what we do with our kids all the time. When we see our kids struggling with a particular sin. And by the way, can I just say the ones that we struggle the most as parents with is when we see our kids being just like us. Especially when they look like you. (laughs) They say things and do things and you're like, oh my, I just saw myself. There's a real tendency to respond sinfully when we see patterns that we've had ourselves in our own children. Why? I'll tell you why, because I know one of the reasons why I used to do it is I was so exasperated by that sin having a a ruling over my life, I didn't want it in my own son or daughter, and so I was going to get it out of there one way or another, and unfortunately, did it sinfully, rather than, okay, I know that God had to come and intervene to get it out of my life. I should be praying, teaching, coaching, training with patience, gentleness, because I know it's only God who's going to get it out of my own kids. So gentleness is key. And then there's a caution to us as parents. There's caution to us as church leaders. Uh, Anybody in the church who sees something, and then uh, you need to go address it. Because in Matthew 18, it says the person who sees the sin is the one who's to go. We don't need to tell 15 people first and get their counsel or ask them to go. We need to go. So what's the caution? Each one is to look to themselves so that you too will not be tempted. This is where, um, and again, I've seen this, where someone is very harsh 
and they're overreacting on a particular sin in someone's life and literally have had to pull the person aside and say, do you realize what you're doing? Your facial expression, your tone of voice, the harshness of what you're saying, the words that you're using. Do you realize what you're doing? And then you'll find out, talking with the person, I, I just can't take it because I, I don't want my own son or daughter to, to be ensnared in the same way I was. And so notice that the goal went from being, how do I help my son or daughter, to I don't want something. It's now become selfish. And that's why it's not helpful. That's why it's very, very important that many of our sins in the past are resolved with God. Because if they're not, we react to them or we uh, encourage them. Because the other option is we see sin in our kids and we avoid them. Why? It's too close to home. And it's not resolved in my own life, and now I see it there. And by the way, uh, when we teach on the issue of sexual sin, one of the reasons why parents struggle to go with the issue of sexual sin is the fateful question. If we go there with our kids, the fateful question is there. How about you, Dad? What'd you do? If I'm not resolved, I'm not going there. And then I've exposed my own kids to an issue they need shepherding on. So that's why gentleness is so key here and looking to ourselves. Again, Paul is saying what Jesus said. Is there a log in my eye before I go to engage here? Is there something that I need to address so that I can be a helpful servant to my brother or sister in Christ? Uh, And if there's a temptation they're struggling with that I struggle with, uh, am I the person that should be doing this? Uh, I think it's a valid question for us to be asking. So that that brings us to, uh, unfortunately, for those that I was unable to get the rest of the uh, notes to you, uh, you'll just have to follow along. I apologize. You can take notes on the margin there. But when we get to this whole issue of gently confronting, uh, we have to ask the question, uh, what's my motivation? And I have to come with a heart of love. I care about this person. I want God's best for them. Not me as a dad to say, I told you so. See, that's that's I want to be right as a dad. Rather than my being right didn't matter at this point. The key is, is that your choice that was sinful is has potential for consequences. And I'm here to help. And so, again, that's where we have to remove the selfish desire to get the satisfaction of being right as a parent. It doesn't matter. The issue is, is are they getting truth and are they living truth and getting the fruit of righteousness? And if they've chosen to sin, how can I come in and help? Admonish or help rescue when they're repentant and wanting help. So I, that the goal is to keep them from the edge of sin. I had a conversation this week where somebody mentioned to me, a close friend of theirs, is they're on the precipice. They're, they're over here on the edge with their toes hanging over and they're just about to sin. Why? Because they're enjoying a relationship with someone on Facebook 
uh, that they've just gotten reacquainted with, things at home aren't doing too well, and right now things are, we're just friends. But he knows that I know, that he knows that I know. He's right here on the precipice. He needs somebody to say, don't go there. There's a famous scenario about 10 years ago when the whole uh, Facebook thing uh, first started. There was a church. It became international news because the pastor told his staff, he had a staff of over 30 or 40, and he said uh, he was going to fire them all or any of them who had a Facebook page. So it was just huge news. Pastor in control uh, tells staff they'll be fired for having a Facebook page. Well, that's a, that sounds like a pretty bad uh, uh, headline of a newspaper article, but you've got to read the article. He had had over seven staff fall to sin because of sexual issues. Let, let me rephrase that. He had struggles with staff. He had a, it was a massive number, much higher than that, of people in the congregation, including leaders, lay leaders, who had fallen to sin in their own church. It was way over, I think it was 20 to 30 marriages in a one-year period of time, and they were all Facebook. And so he's like, hey, we're not going to go there and play that game. I'm just asking my staff to protect themselves. Here's what I'm asking. And so the, the question is, is, am I willing to go and help the person when I see that they're on the cliff and not just let them go? But when I go, how do I go? That's the next key point. And the principle is, you can write this in the margin there, you want to keep your admonition as private as possible for as long as possible. You want to keep it as private as possible for as long as possible. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. You want to do it behind closed doors, not in front of everybody. Why? Because you want to make it easier for the person to respond. Can I just say, men, we, we tend toward pride, true? And if we're called out in public, uh, humility is not usually our knee-jerk first response. <laughs> we, in pride, we want to defend ourselves and look good. So if you call someone out in a public setting, you have actually made it more difficult for them to humbly respond. You've now shamed them. Yeah, that's not the objective. The objective is repentance. See, what's the goal? It's repentance. That's why the verse says, if he listens, you have won your brother. So you want to win your brother or your sister in Christ. Here's why this is important. It says, if you see your brother sin... Very important verb. What's that verb? If you see your brother's sin, what's the verb? Next. Go. Well, if he comes and asks my opinion, I'll share it. 
so sorry to hear that happen. I knew it was kind of happening, but yeah, none of my business. Here's a good thing to write in the margin. Who is it that should go? It's very simple. Whoever saw it. I was a high school teacher, and uh, I was uh, well-known in my public school where I was at. I got to go teach back at my alma mater where I actually graduated. And uh, our uh, administration said, hey, we were to, to enforce certain rules. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that that meant that at least we were to officially enforce the rules. I didn't know I was the only one who was actually doing it. Uh, and so I got the reputation as the bad cop. Uh, and, and I would always tell the students, if I saw it, I got to address it. Now think about that. Biblically, what if you see a crime occur? You didn't do it, but you saw it. I didn't do it. Does that put you off the hook before God? And Leviticus, it even talks about if you're a witness and you refuse to testify, you're guilty for not testifying. So I would always tell the students, dude, if you're going to do it, make sure I don't see it. So. In our school, there was one particular place where you could be. We had a massive school. It was probably, I don't know, two to three blocks, city blocks uh, combined. It was big. But there was a particular place where you could see a long ways. And one of my students, two blocks away, does something. I I can't even remember what it is today. Uh, He does it, and he turns around, and he sees me. And I hear him say, as the wind carried in my direction. No, it's Groves. <laughs> he's like, and then the next thing he said is, you didn't see that, did you? Because <laughs> he knew. And I'm like, hey, I saw it. I have to address it. Why? Because that's, that's what God calls us to, is to be responsible. So if you see something, you've been chosen to love that brother and sister enough to help them. So how do you go? This day and age, it's best to do it face to face. We we tend to prefer default to phone, text. I would just encourage when it comes to things like this, you want to do it face to face. Uh, is your priority. And then, can I just say, the first thing you do is you ask questions. For example, hey, Jim, the other day, this is what I saw, this is what I heard. Can you, can you help me understand what was happening? Why would I do that first? Why would I start there? Well, let me tell you how I used to start. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. And I know this is the reason why. Why? 
And then now I have to backtrack because that wasn't the reason why. I actually didn't know that there were ten other details that I missed. And now I've accused falsely. And now I'm the one who's in sin. So I've learned. I come, I share what I saw, and then I ask questions. Did I see correctly? Did I hear correctly? Do you mind filling in the blanks? See, 1 Corinthians 13 says we're to uh, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The concept of believing all things is I assume everything is true until I confirm a lie. I believe the best until I confirm the worst. So I have to ask first what is true. And only when I confirm do I address. Because we'll we'll see that point here in just a minute in Matthew 18. So you want to be quick to listen first. Ask questions, clarifying questions. Why questions? Uh, Very, very important. I can just tell you I have saved myself lots of embarrassment. First, after eating a lot of humble pie, I've saved myself a lot of embarrassment because I ask questions. And what I thought occurred and why was absolutely not even the case. And I'm so grateful that I asked questions first. Here's why I say it. If you don't do that, you think you're going to help them with their sin. You may find out they've not sinned and you're the one who's sinning. And now it's completely reversed just because you assumed rather than asked. And by the way, can I just say this is the number one reason why couples fight. You were late again, again, for dinner, and you've got your set of past reasons that were given. You just choose one or the other, put it in, and then you get angry. Okay? Rather than ask. Yeah, I did CPR on someone who was dying uh, in a car wreck on the way home. Sorry, honey. Had a hard time getting to the phone. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's important. Don't assume. Assume is, I would say, the number one gas that goes on the spark that causes a fire. Step two. So first, go talk to them. Do it in private. Keep it as small as possible. But say there's not success. Reconciliation doesn't occur. Uh, you need help. Step two is get help. Matthew 18:16 says, But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Let me just list for you nine reasons that I've personally experienced as to why it's great to have an objective third party come help if resolution doesn't occur between uh, the initial two parties. Number one, the third party can confirm whether or not the issue raised is a sin, a preference or a perspective issue. I've been in scenarios where people want flesh. They absolutely, I want this person confronted. I want them, this is a sin, it's horrific. And no, it's a preference issue. They prefer red carpet and you want blue carpet in the sanctuary. 
That's not a sin issue. Number two, you want to help provide accountability to the conversation that it remains God-honoring, objective, and respectful. So you want to address the issues, not each other. You don't want to be attacking each other. You want to be addressing and resolving the issue. Number three, as a third-party person, you want to be able to address and coach coach the attitudes, body language, facial expression, words, tone of speech of both parties. Why? They communicate. And remember, uh, as we've said in every session, we're blind to our own blind spots. We don't realize uh, that face that we have. Yeah, we, we don't realize what we're communicating, but someone else can say, do you realize that when they say this particular uh, thing, that your body twitches and you look like you're in anguish and <gasps> you sigh greatly? Do you mind if I ask what that means? See, again, don't assume what it means. See, when it... <sighs> Actually, I have a special disease that. <laughs> See, don't don't assume. Ask, ask. I've actually found people that uh, they struggle to stay awake. You know, nar- was it narcolepsy or whatever? You know, and you think, oh, you're disinterested. Now they're struggling to stay awake because they got a physical condition. Ask. Don't assume. Number four. Ask questions to clarify the exact nature of the offense or the sin. Can I say, many times I've gotten involved in a conflict, and it took no more than five minutes to figure out that's not the issue. Ten years ago, you did something to my mother, and this is just the excuse to vent it. So it's not this issue here that's the issue. It's something else, and that's what we need to be talking about. But a neutral third party could come in and quickly help figure that out. Number five, keep the focus on the issue. Number six, sometimes the person who initially believes that they're the victim ends up being the offender. Amazing. And again, in my previous classes, I've mentioned the person that comes in initially asking for counsel, not always but sometimes end up being the one who needed it the most. And the same will happen when you have a conflict. The person who said, hey, I need help to confront this person, you get in there and you find out, no, actually the person who came to me is the one who's got the issue. But because you're a neutral third party, hopefully they're listening and can hear you when you say, do you realize what you're doing? And then you can help bring resolution uh, and help them both see their blind spots. Number seven, sometimes both parties need instruction and coaching on how to exercise the seven A's of confession to resolve and reconcile. Most do not know how to reconcile. They know how to address an issue. They know how to bring it up, but they don't know how to resolve it. And then the tendency will be, have we talked about that already? I thought we addressed that. Why are we talking about it again? Because it was never resolved. And they don't know how to resolve it. And that's why it keeps coming up again and again. 
Another reason for a third party is accountability. You're, you're part of a meeting, and both parties agree to do certain things. As a third party, you can check to make sure both parties follow through on their commitment. So you, you feel that someone needs to have a sin address. You first go, do it in private. You do it with gentleness, hoping to win your brother. Unsuccessful, you bring uh, a second person in to help in the process. Uh, we'll talk about a uh, future issue of church discipline in a different series. We're going to do just a separate series on that. Uh, but we'll just leave it at that. The last thing I want to just share uh, and close with this is, what should the person do before they go talk to the person that they're going to confront? And there's going to be uh, five principles. And you can just write down pause, P-A-U-S-E, pause. And that's, that's actually the goal is pause. Okay, I'm going to think here before I address. And so that's actually the P is I want to prepare. Before I go into a conflict resolution uh, scenario, I usually want to know as much as I can from both sides so I can know where the conversation might go so that I'm prepared with what biblical principles uh, to possibly apply given the situation. The same is true if a person is going to go uh, confront someone is they need to think through uh, what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. Going in with no plan is a disaster because the second the emotions get started, you think you didn't have a plan when you were calm. What's going to happen when you get rattled? Then, usually. <laughs> so that's why you want to have a plan. You want to prepare. You want to pray. And you also want to make sure before you go, are you upset? See, sometimes when you go address something that you saw someone do, what you saw actually offended you and made you. What did I just say? That was wrong. Thank you, Lori. No one makes you angry. You saw something and what they did, you chose to respond in anger. If you're still angry, that is not the time to go have a conversation. That is foolish. So you have to pause, pray, ask for God's perspective. Lord, what, what does Scripture have to say about what I just saw? What is it that I should be addressing? What is my concern based on Scripture uh, before I go and have this conversation? Number two is I want to affirm the relationship. It's very, very important on the very front end of any time you have a conversation is you're there because you love them. I'll, I'll just say this. If you do not let the person know why you are there, it's going to go south no matter what you do. See, if they have a vacuum in their mind and they don't know why you're there, what are they going to fill that vacuum with? They want to hurt me. They want to embarrass me. They want to shame me. You just fill it in with anything that's bad. That's why it's crucial. Before you start, you need to let that person know the reason why you're there is you love them. And you want God's best for them. And... You may not know everything, and you're here to find out some information. 
They need to know exactly why you're there or it's going to go south. Don't make them assume why you are there. They need to know clearly why you are there. The you is understand their interests. The old kind of put yourself in their shoes. So before you go address it, is there something that maybe you don't realize the perspective that they're coming from as to why they may have done or didn't do what they did? The S is search for creative solutions. And the last one is evaluate options objectively and reasonably. As I mentioned last week, many times I encourage people to actually write out what they're going to say uh, about their own confession. And it's probably, uh, and then read it to the person. Uh, That's a great place to start, is if you've somehow contributed, always start there first. Uh, And then when you go uh, to address the other person, you have written out where you're going to go and how you're going to get there. And again, as we talked about, uh, you can go online and download the the conference table uh, concept, which is the scriptures that you would read before you have the conversation so that you're both in a biblical mindset. Because what's step number one? We want to glorify God and we want to invite him into this conversation. We want to do this conversation of conflict in the presence of God with his help because we know we need it. And Lord, may you be glorified with the result. We covered a lot this morning. My prayer is is that it would be helpful. And uh, next week we're going to look at uh, what is forgiveness. So once someone uh, repents, uh, what does forgiveness look like? Unfortunately, in our world, we don't understand forgiveness. So it's a completely new thing for many. Uh, of what does the gospel say about forgiveness. So uh, that'll be in the 9 o'clock hour uh, next week. Let me just close in prayer. Precious Father, we need your help. We thank you for you going when you saw us on the precipice of eternal damnation. You sent your Son to come to rescue, to confront our sin, Lord, and uh, to offer your care and concern because it was your love was your motivation for coming because you wanted to reconcile our relationship that was estranged. Lord, you came while we were enemies against you because you wanted to be calling us friends. Lord, only the gospel can do that. And only your son, Jesus, can do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's in the midst of a conflict, Lord, that you would give them hope. That you would encourage them that following your instructions with your spirit with them, Lord, with a humble attitude that is gentle, Lord. May you give them the courage to go and reconcile. 
Lord, we ask that you would grant not, a re- not just a resolution of the issues, but a reconciliation of relationship for your glory and for your honor. In your son's name.